Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. You can find out all about me and my work at bouldernutrition.com. My inspiration with Satiate is to offer you functional nutrition and well-being insights, to share with you case studies and stories that can act as salve for your soul, to introduce to you some of my favorite experts and special guests from all over the country, and to give you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, heart, and soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful if you head over to iTunes, subscribe so that you get updates on the latest episodes, and leave a review. That way I can get the podcast out to those listeners who need it most. Onward with today's episode and special guest. I'm so excited to introduce to you today the amazing Sarah Avant Stover. Sarah is a best-selling author, teacher of feminine spirituality, yoga and meditation instructor, and internal family systems practitioner. After a cancer scare upon graduating Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude from Columbia University's All Women's Barnard College, Sarah moved to Chiang Mai, Thailand, where she lived and worked for a decade and went on to become a leading yoga instructor in Southeast Asia. Sarah created the world's first women's yoga teacher training over 10 years ago and taught her first Yoga Alliance 200-hour training in 2006. Sarah now leads retreats and workshops both internationally and online, including at centers like 1440 Multi-University, Kripalu, and the Shambhala Mountain Center. For the past two decades, her work has uplifted the lives of tens of thousands of women worldwide. She has been featured in Yoga Journal, The Huffington Post, Newsweek, and Natural Health, and on ABC, NBC, and CBS. And she lives here in Boulder, Colorado. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Satiate. Sarah, it's so good to have you on the podcast with me today. I'm really glad to share this time with you and that you took the time to share your path with us. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sue. It's looking forward to our time together. Me too. It's been a long time. I feel like since I've seen you, the pandemic obviously has, um, taken away a lot of our social gathering spots, but I'm glad to be able to be here with you today. Me too. Uh, Me too. So I know that you've had a lot of shifts and changes in your life over the past few years. And I, I'm glad to see you're back with some amazing offerings, um, this summer and into the fall. So I would love to start a little bit about like your story and where, and where you're at in your journey. And I know this is a big question, but I feel like you're someone who is so articulate about sharing your own 
life story as you use it to inspire a lot of your work. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about where you're at and where you've been. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a big question. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. <laughs> feel free to feel free to cut me off if I'm going on too long. But um, oh yeah, no worries. I think really my whole life I've been very spiritually inclined and also very interested in women and women's rights and women's empowerment and. That began as a small child. I'm the second oldest of four, four daughters. And even we had all of our pets were female. And when I was in my late teens, my parents divorced and we, my sisters and I spent most of our time with my mom. So then it was a, a house with five, five women and, you know, female dogs and cats. And, and then I went to an all women's college. I went to Barnard College in New York City. And there, there was a very strong um, women's program and just, just have always been very, really interested in the feminine. And it was while I was at Barnard in college that my paths accelerated. And when I was graduating, I was diagnosed with the early stages of cervical cancer, which I now know is very common for um, young women, like in their late teens, early twenties, cervical dysplasia. And that really set my life off in a new direction. I was intending to go serve in the Peace Corps in West Africa. And with that diagnosis, I wouldn't be able to do that because I needed to have regular, every three months have have a pelvic exam. And right around that time where that plan fell apart, I was spontaneously offered a job to teach at a school in Thailand. And in Thailand, they have good health care. And so within three months from that job offer and my graduation, I, I moved to Northern Thailand to Chiang Mai. And while I was teaching at that school, I just immersed myself in everything that Thailand had to offer the Buddhism and a lot of traditional Chinese medicine and yoga. And um, I, I learned Reiki for the first time and learned about fasting and detoxification. And so one thing led to another and I was given the tools that I needed to really heal at a deep level from just so much pushing and forcing and striving throughout my, my life. And the pace in Thailand just really suited me. I was finally able to slow down and just feel a softer way of being. And from there, I went to get my yoga certification and one thing led to another. And it was really the time when yoga was booming in Southeast Asia. And I had just gotten my certification. And so I started teaching there and traveling around the world teaching and I was just teaching co-ed at that time, but more and more women started to come to me with similar issues that I had had, like cervical dysplasia. I also had irregular periods. Um, I was anorexic and bulimic for in my um, late teens and also part of my early twenties when I was in college and also had ovarian cysts. So just a lot, my body was really talking to me. And uh, I started to then teach workshops uh, to women about the different things that I had learned about how to heal with yoga and Ayurveda and meditation. 
And since then that has just grown, you know, eventually, obviously I moved back to the States. I moved back I moved to Boulder in 2008. And at that time, shortly after that published my first book and five years ago, I published my second book and my path just con- continues to evolve. And just like it did back, you know, 20 years ago in Thailand, my professional life really mirrors my personal life. I feel like mm. I go through things as, as a woman I learn a lot in the process. It's often hard and, you know, healing is healing can be, can be challenging and takes a lot of time and patience, but then it's worth it when I can turn around and share what I learned with other women and hopefully make their journeys a little easier and less confusing. And hopefully they feel less alone. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's such a beautiful thing when we can like be inspired by our own process even though of course those moments can be somewhat grueling when we're in the thick of our own healing journey. But one thing I've always admired about you and your work is that you really do bring a lot of that insight to your, you know, to your work, to your writing and a lot of the things that you offer. And it's incredibly valuable when we can, you know, really learn from each other in what we've gone through. Cause there are some things that a lot of us go through that are similar, obviously, as well as being very different. And I'm so curious, you know, I know that when I first met you, I don't even remember how long ago that was, but back in the Ashtanga yoga days for me, at least, and it was a very different style of living and practice. It was for me, something I was attracted to pretty much a couple years out of college and a couple years out of, you know, competitive gymnastics, which in a sense was like a very interesting path to go from that athletic performance to a rigorous yoga practice, but it still held a lot of the, that similar young, very active, very, you know, forceful and uh, very muscular and all of those things that we, you know, experience when we're in a sense pushing ourselves and, you know, moving in that masculine sense in a lot of ways. And I know that I've had to learn a lot in my journey around listening to my body and softening. It's like, I had to undo most, most of my childhood to, to really listen to myself. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey with yoga and how, how you created women's yoga and why you created women's yoga. And it's such a, when I hear the term, I, there's like a a softening and a relaxing in my body, just because I know it's such a different way of practicing that I can now embody in myself in a completely different way than I did in my twenties. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from you. Yes. Well, I had a similar, similar entryway into yoga as you, I was, was I was a runner in college. That was like how I, how I managed my stress and long distance runner running half marathons. And I was actually training for the New York city marathon when I injured my knee. And it was from that injury that then I just looked around and thought, well, what, what can I do now? And that's when I started taking some yoga classes at my gym. And, and I was also just very drawn to Ashtanga because it was so intense. And maybe there, maybe it's also just that season of life when being that age and having all that exuberance, all that energy. And I was very much an intensity junkie at that time. And, um, 
but just like you over the years, I have softened and softened and softened. And I, I realized that that form of practice was also exacerbating a lot of my, my health conditions. And like, it was just, it was, my digestion was a mess. Like I said, my menstruation was as well. It was just creating more tension, more hardness in my body. And women's yoga, you know, I, I didn't create women's yoga. I, I feel like I'm just one of the many people who have been uncovering it. <laughs> yeah. And there were some initial women that I found in my early twenties that helped open, like just, you know, peek the door open a little bit for me to start to see a glimpse of another way. And some of those women, one, one was Maya Tiwari, mm. who, yeah, she's an Ayurvedic teacher and she wrote a book. Her, she's written a few books, but her first book was called the path of practice. Mm. And it was all about how she used Ayurveda and yoga and meditation and alignment with lunar cycles to heal from ovarian cancer. And I just followed her book like a Bible. And it just, that, that was one of the, the biggest turning points in my life. Mm. And from there, I was introduced to more, more people. I was introduced to a woman named Sophia Diaz, who was my teacher in feminine spiritual practice for many years. And also uh, some women that she had studied with. There was, there was one woman in Western Massachusetts. I used to come back to the States in the summertime when I lived in Thailand. And one of those summers I lived in Western Mass. And there was a woman there who was teaching a women's yoga class that again, was just really revelatory for me. And, and those three women really planted the seeds for me to start exploring a different kind of path. Mm. I was absolutely on board with Brimaya Tuari's book around that same time. And it was so impactful to me to, you know, bring my spiritual practice and my yoga practice to so many other elements of the day, like cooking was a big one. Mm -hmm. yes. um, it was such an influence on my business and on, you know, so many things that I was learning at the time. So I didn't know we had that in common, but mm. over the years, I ended up living next door to um, a man many years ago on elder street. And he studied with her way back in the seventies. And so I used to like have these amazing conversations with him about what it would be like to have been able to study in person with her and learn these techniques and practices firsthand. So he was such an interesting person to be able to get to know. Um, so thank you for reminding me of that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. She's a yeah. special one. Very special. Yeah. So over the, I know you've been working in this way for so many years, and I'm sure there's many different seasons within that, but what have you noticed in yourself when you really began to honor that feminine side of your practice in both your yoga, but also in just life in general and how that really shows up day to day for those people who maybe are listening and are new to this conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's just, there's so many, so many ways that it, has, that my life has changed as a result of just shifting my practice. And I guess it'd just be easier for me to talk about current time. Sure. What, what it has shifted for me. And I think one of the biggest pieces is psychological healing. And 
on kind of a masculine or more patriarchal spiritual path, really the goal is about ego annihilation, you know, just like overcoming the ego. It's a lot of this like battle terminology of fighting the ego, overcoming the ego. Uh, But one, one of my present day spiritual teachers, Miranda McPherson, she also teaches a very feminine approach to awakening. And she talks about it as ego relaxation Mm. and that just that it's about relaxing the thoughts, relaxing the feelings, relaxing into our natural way of being just our natural state. And that practice has been really profound for me in opening up a lot more self-compassion and allowance for my personality structure to be what it is. And this, this practice of relaxing and softening and opening and allowing has also brought forward a lot of challenging material from my depth, which is kind of the point, you know, spirituality and psychology are really meant to, to be braided together. And so it's just brought forward a lot of old traumas, a lot Mm -hmm. of old wounds that has, and also ancestral wounds. That's been the the piece that I've been working with more these past couple of years um, to really be tended to and to to bring that that love and compassion to those parts that have been locked away for so long. And then that showed up as eating disorders or pushing myself too hard you know, all of these kind of coping mechanisms to, to deal with the pain. And now I have the tools to actually just go directly to those, those parts of myself that are in pain and to, to remother them, to, to reparent them. So psychological healing has been a big one. And I mean, just the way that I, that I work, I, I don't push myself like I used to. I, I rest a lot. I get a lot of sleep. I, I go on retreat. I um, just have one rest day a week. I, I just take better care of myself. I don't push myself past my limits anymore. And that also expresses itself, I think, in my relationships. I just have a higher bar for who I'm in relationship with. And I'm in relationship with people who treat me well and who honor who I am and honor my needs. And uh, I don't, I I feel like in the past also, I, some of my relationships reflected some of my wounding and I, I tolerated things that I shouldn't have. So also, I think a lot of these things just come with getting older and getting wiser and just learning, learning as we go, but it's, it's really influenced every dimension of my life. Yeah. I'd love to circle back to a, a couple points that you brought up. The first one around being able to dig deeper into some of your old patterns and wounds and trauma. And one thing that I know Danielle Laporte talks a lot about is basically kind of busting the myth that our spiritual practice makes us feel good all the time. Mm-hmm. When rather often it shines the light on things that we need to like deal with or heal or work with that can be a little daunting sometimes when, you know, when it might just be easier to stay numb. 
how, how have you noticed your practice supporting that in your own healing? Like, do you find that when things get harder or a little bit more challenging as far as digging into those old wounds that you're able to resource yourself more effectively, that you're able to like have the tools to manage through those kind of harder moments? Yes and no, like, and I'll explain that, but I feel like my spiritual practice continually helps me to expand my capacity to Mm. be with all of life, to be with all of myself. And ultimately that's what spirituality is about. It's about being more human and embracing the full spectrum of our humanity. That is divinity, being able to embrace the full spectrum of our humanity and you know, supermarket spirituality is about feeling good all the time. And that, that's not what it is. That's, that's the opposite of what it is. And so my spiritual practice helps to expand my capacity, you know, having had a pretty much daily meditation practice for 25 years now, that's, that's a great ally. That's morning after morning of sitting with myself, no matter how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking or what's happening in my life, or in the world and not turning away. And at the same time, when challenging spirit, uh, challenging material comes up, I also need support. And I'm also brought to my edge and I'm brought to my knees. And that's when I need to, um, you know, we're not meant to do this alone. Yeah. And that's when I, I reach out to, luckily I have wonderful mentors and therapists and, teachers and I I have a big support network and I get one-on-one support to help me through those, those times to help me to meet those parts of myself that are just emerging that I can't meet on my own. So it's a combination of both. And I think that that's really what the path is meant to be about. It's, you know, the Buddha had the three, the three jewels, the three gems, the, the Buddha, which is our own, our own, inner awakened state, the Dharma, which is the teachings and the Sangha, which is the community. So we do, we need each other as we're using the teachings to access our, our inner Buddha nature. Mm, That's such a great reminder, which is another part of, you know, what a lot of us have been through over this past 17 or 18 months with the pandemic, you know, is feeling like we don't have as much connection, especially in person, obviously, as we've had. And luckily, you know, we have the ability to connect on Zoom and, you know, through various means with those types of, um, those types of support networks. Do you feel like that's been a way that you've been able to stay connected, even though there's been so much more seclusion than there has ever before in the world? I do. I do. And, and it's not the same, <laughs> right. Right. You know, like it's, it's, it's wonderful. Cause I've, you know, I've been working on the, online in this way, as I know many have just for, for years. So I'm used to, to this. I'm used to working with my mentors and therapists virtually. And there's also just something that can't quite be replaced by that in-person connection. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an interesting thing to see how we can like get creative and do what we can with virtual connection. But yes, when I'm in a public, I've been going to some public park classes 
And like, it's such an, it's such a treat to be with people and it yeah, still feels exactly. novel, you know, and I'm still dipping my toe in, but such an amazing, you know, reminder of that importance of connection, but also in any way. So thanks for bringing that up. The other piece I wanted to circle back to, and this is something that I'm sure you can relate to. I know for me, thinking about resting more, thinking about slowing down, there was a point in my life, maybe five or six years ago, where I sort of declared, like drew a line in the sand after coming home from one of my retreats um, that I was going to flow versus rather than force. And that was like a huge shift for me, especially after single parenting and being the only breadwinner at the house and doing it all on my own. It was very easy to stay in that overdrive that I learned as a kid, you know? And so when I came back from Bali, which is one of the most feminine, like feminine energetic places I've ever been in the world, just so in the flow and in the beauty of the feminine everywhere you look, it was such an interesting experience to like take that home with me and have this aha moment of what it would be like to flow rather than force, especially when it's in my longest years of, you know, what I've known and habitually perpetuated in my life. Resting is something I'm also doing a lot of and working on a lot, but there's still little moments of guilt and is it actually productive? Is it actually going to work? You know, and hearing you talk about it, there's a layer of confidence that I'm curious about how that has worked for you and how that has impacted your, for example, your business, your output and things that most of us are thinking about when we're like, oh, we should rest more. Like we won't get as much done. We won't be as successful. We won't be as validated in the world or whatever it is, the messaging we get. Would you be able to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. And there's just so much cultural conditioning around working harder, doing more, doing it faster, forcing. So it's very countercultural to rest. And I think because I've been so actively cultivating it for for the past 20 years, I feel kind of more outside of the cultural conditioning. Now I don't feel guilt when I'm resting anymore. I understand when people do completely as part of it. Um, but I think I've just really learned firsthand how much it benefits me. Uh, one, my body won't let me push myself anymore. My body starts talking back to me with inflammation in various forms. So one, I, I feel bad in my body. Mm -hmm. And when I feel bad in my body, it's like, that's like, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. It's, I would much rather feel good in my body. I do better work when I, when I feel better in my body, I'm able to be present for people more when I, when I feel better in my body. And then also my creativity and my intuition and just like my, my sense of inner confidence and, and inspiration of like ideas of things to do or knowing, knowing what's, what's mine to do and what's not, that only comes when I'm rested. When I'm, when I'm tired, when I'm too busy, I, I disconnected. Like I'm not tuned into that deep radio station of my, of my truth. And then I start going off on a path that's not aligned. And that's also 
just one of the like the worst feelings for myself. So I'd much rather just stay close to the truth, stay close to feeling good. And to do that, I need to rest. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I think most of us need a permission slip for rest and at various levels, <laughs> like beginner, intermediate and advanced, because even with practice, that little inner voice can creep up and, you know, remind us of our programming that's so ingrained in our culture. So I really appreciate yeah. you bringing that up here because I think it's something most of us need to hear and be reminded of. And also that it doesn't translate into something negative in our lives that I think it, for the most part, for me, translates into something positive, just as you're saying, like feeling more connected to yourself, feeling more creative, feeling more in tune. Those are priceless. I mean, that's where we do yes. our best work. That's where we show up for the people we care about the most effectively and the most connected. So um, thank you for that. Yeah. I, one of the things I wanted to bring up and I know that you talk a lot about this sort of in your um, writing, I guess we could say, is, you know, shifting the paradigm within our, in our culture of yoga. And I've noticed that for me, how I practice and teach is very based on, you know, where I'm, how I'm feeling, where I'm at, which has really softened over the years, especially as I get older. But I've also noticed that there's this addictive slash very, you know, alluring quality when we are talking about some of the selling points of yoga. And I'm just curious, like when you're sharing this knowledge with people, when you're marketing some of your retreats and your classes and your trainings, do you come up against that? Do you come up against that kind of young culture of like, get your workout and your yoga and your detoxification and sweat on all at the same time in this sort of very, in a sense, externalized practice. And I know that sometimes for me, that can be a little bit of a slippery slope or a tricky conversation to have with people who are maybe more familiar with that cultural paradigm. Yeah, that's an important question. And I think the places where I felt that the most is when I have been teaching at a yoga studio. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember I, I taught at a yoga studio here in town for, for some years. And there were a lot of those kinds of classes that you were talking about. And those are great classes to go to sometimes. Sometimes I right. like to go to those classes too, right. but just on an ongoing basis, that's not how I practice anymore. And that's not how I teach. And so in that kind of environment, it would be more challenging because just the clientele there would be more expectant of that type of class. And then they come to my class and say like, well, what's this? Like, why isn't there loud music? Why aren't we moving really fast? Right, right. But I think when I teach on my own, I think that now generally most people understand what I'm up to and what I'm about. I think my, my, my books help with that just to explain my why I teach this way and why it's important. And I think I tend to draw women who are moving away from that kind of type A way of being in the world. And that's, that's one of the appeals to, to working with me or to practicing in this way. So I get, I get a lot of recovering overachievers, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of women who have just been burned out from, from all of this stuff that we're talking about and who are hungry for 
for a different way. And sure, I would probably have bigger classes, bigger retreats, bigger everything if I was doing it the other way, but that's just not, it's just not what I'm interested in. So it's just accepting that it's going to be a smaller, a smaller crowd of people who want this, this, this way of living, this way of moving, this way of being. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, they come when they're ready yes. and it's a slightly different attraction, I guess. And also I remember back in the early days, you know, thinking about what hooks people into yoga and there's so many things. And for me, it was the young practice. Cause I felt like myself, as I felt when I was, you know, in my competitive gymnastics days, there was something really familiar about the primary series as there was to a hard, you know, gymnastics training. And so it was in a sense, an entry point for me. And then it turned into so much more. So I do think people show up in yoga for so many reasons and what that churns into over time and what happens throughout their, the practice can be so dynamic. So I, I think there's a lot of space there for people to go through their process and then eventually come to an understanding that the practice can be so much deeper and so much more inward and so much quieter and still so effective. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's now for me, now it's more about settling my nervous system and how much better I feel when my nervous system is more settled and when I'm grounded. And like I was sharing before, just how that gives me access to my intuition, my creativity, just my connection with source. But when I'm, when I'm moving too quickly and I'm ungrounded, it's, I, I also lose that connection. Yeah. So that's a great segue into some of the ways that you teach around this, like honoring cycles and rhythms within spirituality, especially within the feminine cycles and rhythms. Can you speak a little bit to that as well? I know there's many different rhythms we talk about in the feminine archetypes and in the seasons of a woman's life, but I'd love to hear just a little snippet of how that sort of shows up in your teaching and in your practice. Sure. Well, this was also born originally from Brimaya Tawari back, you know, in my early twenties and how she, she really acknowledged that we need to do things differently at different stages of the lunar cycle which also mirrors different stages of our hormonal cycles as women. And I started experimenting with doing a gentler practice when I was on my period than when I was ovulating. And that I think is one of just the biggest things that healed me. Mm. And so I was sold and yeah, I started teaching that. And then when women started practicing that, and I'm not the only one obviously who's been teaching it or practicing it, then you know, those women were sold as well. So it's just, just, it's really listening to what's, what's happening. Am I bleeding? Am I ovulating? Am I going through perimenopause or menopause? Am I going through a divorce? Am I in a pandemic and under a lot of stress? It's like looking at the factors in our lives internally and externally and adapting our practice around those so that our practice supports us in meeting what's happening in our lives from a more resource place rather than pulling our resources because we feel like we need to achieve something in our practice at all costs. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just a gentler, um, 
more compassionate, more intelligent way, I think, to practice where we really weave our practice into the tapestry of our lives. Like in winter, we wear warm clothes. And and so in winter, your practice will will look different. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, right there, you know, in our nature. And yet in our personal, like human nature, which is so part of nature. And yet another thing that we so often override and just illuminating the option of just listening and asking ourselves how we're feeling, what kind of movement we're craving. When I started giving myself freedom around that, rather than this structure of how it was supposed to look, it really, not only did it shift how I practiced whatever, whether it was meditation or yoga or exercise in general, or even just self-care, it also really shifted my ability to just pay attention. And it's one of those things that I think once again, so many of us are taught that that's not okay or not acceptable. And it's such a great opportunity to just remind people, I think that there is this organic permission for us to follow those nature-based cycles and rhythms without creating a big story about it. It just takes a minute. The other thing I noticed as well, I don't know if you have had this experience is my resistance dropped away. And I think I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that's what it was there for. I didn't realize what it was telling me, but I would notice sometimes like that I was resisting my practice or resisting sitting on the meditation cushion because I had contrived in my mind some way it was supposed to be and look, and maybe I wasn't even aware that I wasn't up for that that day or that I needed something different. But I just remember when I gave myself permission, I was like, oh, wow, I fell in love with my practice in a different way for the first time. So yeah, there's a lot there when we start to just allow what is the truth to be our guide rather than the shoulds. But sometimes it's subtle and a little hard to uncover at first. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know you are launching into a beautiful training that is virtual at this point, which is timely in the world, the way things are. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your women's teacher training and yoga and meditation teacher training, I guess, Mm -hmm. and um, what that looks like and what that's all about. Yeah. Well, I taught my first yoga teacher training, I think it was back in 2006 in Thailand, it was a 200 hour teacher training. And since that time, I've, I've taught more 200 hour teacher trainings. And then I shifted that into um, creating the world's first women's yoga teacher training, maybe a little bit over 10 years ago. And I taught that not in a 200 hour format, but more in like a 80 hour format. I taught that in person in various places around the world. And over time, then I added meditation to it because meditation is such a huge component that I feel often gets omitted in the yoga world, and especially in yoga teacher trainings. And I feel like they're really meant to go together, yoga and meditation. And so this year, it's the more ex- most expanded version ever. It's a 200-hour yoga alliance 
women's yoga and meditation teacher training. And like you said, it's online because of the pandemic. So it also just makes it more accessible. So when I have taught 200 hour trainings in the past, they've been month long intensives. And this is broken up into four long weekends to just make it, make it have more manageable chunks. And it just covers all the things that we're talking about, about, you know, personalizing our practice for women's anatomy, subtle anatomy and gross anatomy and women's hearts and minds. Like what does a meditation practice look like to support a woman during different seasons of life and how to to teach these methods to other women. And um, some are joining us who just want to deepen their practice. And that, that always happens every year in the training. There are always women who just want to come and be part of the community and, and they feel like their practice is slipping or they just want to go deeper and, and root it in more. And so they come and join us as well. So it's always a really beautiful community experience of going deep with other women and going deep into our own practices and learning more along the way because really all yoga traditions are patriarchal. And this is an exploration of what is, what is a women's yoga lineage outside of the patriarchy. And Mm. one of the things that comes with the patriarchal yoga traditions is there's sexual abuse and there's like cultish, cultish behavior and just a lot of shadow material. And so I don't know what it looks like exactly (laughs) to just have, have a fully free a female lineage free of patriarchy, but that's what we're exploring together and creating together and envisioning because it just doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's such a powerful time in the world with so many different things going on at this time that this is so needed. And, and I just have a taste of that when I lead my women's retreats and there's just a a completely different energy, you know, when there's a group of women together for a week. And I've noticed compared to prior years, many, many years ago, when I used to teach a few co-ed retreats, completely, completely different energy, fun and vibrant and exuberant in so many ways, but a completely different energy that I was, that I was able to pick up on as opposed to being with women for that same amount of time. And I'm sure when you go into the training and into the depths of exploration for all of those hours together over those four weekends, I'm sure there's a similar flavor of that freedom in the feminine that so many of us are craving. Um, Yeah. So it's like, we don't realize how maybe guarded we are even at very subtle levels in our nervous system when we're in a mixed gender environment but when we remove that, there's just, there's a deeper relaxation and healing that can happen at the level of the nervous system. And even just being able to talk about things that, that we don't, or that we feel like we can't in a mixed gender environment. And like you said, there's just so much happening on the planet right now that like we, we need, we need this deeply empowered feminine to help <sighs> move us forward. And that's another big component of the training. It's like, it's about women really uncovering and trusting and standing in her own inner spiritual authority. 
because part of part of these patriarchal uh, traditions, they teach us to mistrust ourselves or to doubt ourselves or to keep looking outside for the answers. But this is about just continually validating your own knowing, your own truth, and just amplifying that and standing in that and sharing that because that's that's what's going to change things. And that's what's going to really help you to feel like you are in your deep truth, your deep power. Yeah. So priceless. So tell us as far as the teacher training starting time and details and where we can find more out. And I know you have a discount code to share with our podcast listeners. So I'd love to just kind of point them in the right direction to find out all they need for this training if they're interested. Sure. Uh, the website is womensyogateachertraining.com <laughs> and Perfect. registration is open until September 9th Great. and we start, when do we start? I think we start on the 23rd. Um, it's the end of September uh, for a three-day weekend. It's Friday through Sunday for our first weekend and then there's another long weekend, the last weekend in October and then the weekend of, I think it's number 12th, and then the first weekend of January. So four three-day weekends. And um, yeah, I think then the website has everything else that women need to know, womenjogateachertraining.com. And uh, yes, coupon code. So for your listeners, uh, if if any women would like to join us, there's a $100 off coupon code, and you can just enter all caps, Sue, W-Y-T-T, so Sue, W-I-T-T at checkout, and that will get you your $100 off. Amazing. Well, I'll be sure to drop the link in the show notes for that as well. And I have one final question for you, which I love to ask at the end of my podcast, which is called Satiate. And I'd love to know just kind of first thought, what Satiate means to you? Satiate means filling with nourishment. Like I think of like when I water my plants, I have some flowers growing on my front porch and every morning I go out there with my watering can and it's like just filling the soil with the nourishment of the water. And so when I'm satiated, I'm just filling myself with the things that, that nourish me and the combination it's it's rest it's um I love being outside and playing with my dog and spending time with my boyfriend and eating good foods and reading good books and just all those things that help me to feel really full inside Mm, I love it and I love that we can like expand it into so many areas thank you so much for that It's great to have you, Sarah. I'm so excited to share this episode with our audience and just to get this message out into the world even more and to support you in this beautiful teacher training that you're offering that is so needed. So thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your wisdom and your experience and all that you bring. It's great to have you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate just all the ways our paths continue to cross over the years. Yeah. So many ways. You too. 
Thank you so much for joining me today on this special episode of Satiate. I want to send you off with wholehearted wishes for your health and happiness and that we meet here again very soon. Thanks for listening.